wonder if you've ever been wronged, ever been the, the victim of an injustice. You probably have if you've lived any time in this world. Maybe someone let you down, they promised you something and they, they didn't come through. Maybe somebody stole from you, somebody scammed you, somebody defrauded you. Maybe a, a loved one betrayed you with immorality. Maybe you were the victim of physical or sexual assault. Maybe you've had your reputation tarnished. Maybe private communication and images uploaded online that you never expected to be publicized in that way. How do you, how do you feel when you experience such wrongs, when you go through such terrible injustice? You feel angry, don't you? You, you feel bitter. You feel vengeful. You, you want to pay back the person who did such wrong to you. But how does that work out for us? How, how much good does that do us, and how much evil, rather, does it do us? Who really wins when we are filled with bitter vengeance and a determined desire to repay our enemy, our persecutor, the one who's stolen from us, lied about us, assaulted us, defrauded us. It does us no good at all, does it? So, how should we respond to personal injustice? When we see what is just and true burned up in front of our eyes, how should we reply to that? What should be our actions, our words, our attitude, if it's not to be personal vengeance? Paul addresses that in this section, verses 14 through 21, and it really does flow quite naturally from what was before. He begins the chapter with the mercies of God, which renew our minds, renew our bodies, renew our gifts and our use of them, and as we saw last time, renew our emotions. And now, in this section, verses 14 through 21, he's really dealing with the renewal of our relationships. If we've experienced the mercies of God, the mercies of God turn around to us and say, I'm pleading with you that your relationships will be changed, re renewed, transformed by the experience of the mercy of God. And really, what Paul's doing in verse 14 through 21 is he's trying to remove our self-focus from our relationships. You can go through the verses and the context here, and you'll sense as you do so that Paul's trying to get us turned inside out so that we focus on others, not just ourselves. You see that, for example, in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. 
Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly, and so on. And so here, Paul is giving us guidance in our personal relationships. And in the section we want to focus on tonight, especially our relationship with our enemies, with those who have wronged us, with those who have left us as victims. How should we differ from the world in our Christian faith in this area of life? Now, before we go into this, I'd simply like to remind you that this is about personal relationships, not civil justice. The next chapter, chapter 13, deals with God delegating some of His justice to governments, to civil authorities, and other authorities as well. He officially transfers the right to punish, the right to exact vengeance, the right to bear the sword, to punish evildoers. He transfers that to constituted, God-ordained authorities. We're speaking here really of the, the national government, the state, which God has entrusted the sword to. And this passage is not talking about the responsibilities of the state. The state is allowed, through its duly appointed officers, to punish and exact vengeance upon evildoers. No, this is speaking primarily about personal relationships. How we, who are not lawyers and judges and government officials, how we, in our personal lives, relate to those who have done us wrong and how to do so in a way that takes self out of the middle of that and puts God in the middle of it. So how then should we respond to personal injustice? First of all, we're taught here God overcomes evil. Summed up really at the end of the verse, this section, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, the first thing we're told here is we don't beat evil with our vengeance. We don't defeat evil with our own vengeance. We see that in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. That's not vengeance, is it? We see it also in verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. That's not personal vengeance, is it? Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Again, that's not personal vengeance, is it? Don't be overcome by evil. Don't let what happens to you result in more evil by you. And so he's making it radically clear here that our instinctive response to retaliate has to be quashed, has to be tamped down, has to be dampened. 
We do not defeat evil with vengeance. The, the reason we turn to vengeance and retaliation is when we put ourselves at the center, when our pride, our reputation becomes more important to us than anyone else. And when that happens, we get haughty and proud and arrogant and self-justifying, and we will pursue the person who's done wrong to us until we have punished them sufficiently, if not more so. And God is saying here four times in different ways, do not rush to judgment. Do not exact personal vengeance. Four times. Because he knows. That's what comes really easily to most of us. How do I get back? How do I punish? So when he says, do not be overcome by evil, he's saying, don't let evil make you evil. If you do, evil wins. That's his first truth. We do not beat evil with personal vengeance. You say, why can I do that? I mean, I've just got to walk away. That person's going to go off with what they said and what they did, what they took. I've got to live with my scars and they go unscarred. Really? That's what you expect of me? Yes but only because God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. In other words, we don't defeat evil with vengeance. God defeats evil with vengeance. If we tried to do it, our vengeance would be evil and unholy and sinful. We'd do it at the wrong time in the wrong way, maybe to the wrong person. When God does it, it's the right time. It's the right way and the right person. Listen to these solemn words in verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is Mine, not yours. I will repay, not you. So here we're being asked when we think about how to pay back someone, how to punish someone for wrongs done to us, God is saying, that's my place. You're, you're, you're standing where I belong. Move it. Get out of there. Give, give that place to me. Only I have the right to do that. Step aside. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And this is a, this is a great comfort, surely, to those who have experienced injustice, those who have been victimized, God is basically saying to you, I know. I know what's happened. I know what was said. I know what was done to you. I know your pain. I know the stress. I know the trauma. I know all that. You're not up to 
the job of putting this right. But I am. I'm not asking you simply to forget this and no justice is ever done. No, I'm asking you to leave that to me. This is my job. This is my calling. This is who I am. And, and do not doubt. Do not question. I will repay. Do you hear God's loving voice coming through this? He's saying, your enemy, the one who has done terrible things to you, that evil, I will defeat. I will defeat by bringing justice to the offender, maybe in this life, but definitely in the life to come. Or, or, and there's an alternative here, by bringing the offender to repentance. Because when that happens, justice is still done, but it's done in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. So, whatever has happened to us, one thing is for sure, justice will be satisfied. Your just and righteous desire will be met perfectly, without sin, without evil. So, God is saying to us here, give your grudge to the judge. Bring it to me, lay it before me, tell me, just tell me how you feel about it. Say, this, this happened 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago maybe, and it still rankles, it still burns, it still frustrates, it still haunts my dreams, it's still in my everyday life. I, I can't get away with the wrongness and the injustice of this. But, holy judge, this, this grudge I bring to you, and I leave it here knowing that you will put it right. You, as the judge of all the earth, will do right. I give it to you, I place it there, and I walk away. Knowing I no longer need to carry this. And that's the wonderful thing about this truth. It means that we can bring this burden, this agony, this trauma, we can leave it with God and enjoy freedom from anger. We can leave that person, that group of people, in God's hands, the best hands possible. And we can hear Him assuring us you don't need to be angry anymore because I am angry for you. Enjoy freedom from anger. This doesn't mean we, we look at our enemies and we say, well, I'll leave vengeance to God because God's really going to get them. 
like as if we rub our hands and lick our lips. No, in Proverbs itself tells us that if we rejoice when our enemy falls, look out because you'll fall next. This isn't some kind of sinful response, but it's a holy, believing response that just leaves it with God, and all the emotions stay there too. And also remember our judge's injustice. If we think we've suffered injustice, how much more Jesus? The judge that we're leaving our grudges with, he's the one who was more innocent than anyone who's ever lived and yet suffered the greatest injustice that's ever lived. Therefore, he comes to us and says, look, I know. I've been there. I know what it's like. I've been the, the greatest ever victim of injustice. I I have suffered for sin. Not just the sin of people who will repent, but of the people who already have. Of all believers. He says, I am your salvation. I have suffered in your place. First Peter puts it like this, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus put this verse into effect perfectly. So what what Paul is telling us here is keep in mind God's fiery vengeance. He will burn up all injustice and all the unjust. He will execute justice perfectly. John Piper put it like this, if you keep a grudge, you doubt the judge. If you keep a grudge, you doubt the judge. You you actually don't believe these words. If you carry that bitterness, if you're still out for revenge, you're doubting his words that say, I will repay, leave it alone, trust me. So God defeats evil. What about us then? What's left for us to do? Well, Paul tells us good overcomes evil. I'll explain the image in a moment. Good over, God overcomes evil. Good overcomes evil. Good defeats evil, first of all, by increasing goodness. Good defeats evil by increasing goodness to the evil. Let's see that in the Scriptures. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Do good to them. Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Verse 21, overcome evil with good. How can we do that? Because God is just. We leave the punishment and the justice to Him, 
And that frees us to do good, even to our own enemies, even to those who have wronged us, so that no longer do we let them control our thoughts and emotions and words and lives. No, we've handed control over to God, and we are free. We're free to serve. We're free to bless. We're free to pray. We're free to feed. We're free to give water. We're free to love. We can do all this good. Why? Why would God ask us to do this? Well, first of all, because goodness can lead to repentance, can't it? Paul speaks of that earlier in Romans, where he speaks of God's goodness leading us to repentance. That we who are rebels against Him are eventually so overwhelmed by His kindness and gentleness and generosity that we eventually say, I surrender, I give up. I can't fight this anymore. I've been overcome by your goodness. And likewise, it can be that victims, the wronged, those who have suffered injustice, by doing good to those, the very ones who did such wrong to them, by their goodness can bring them to the Lord. Think of Corrie ten Boom who suffered so much in the concentration camps in the Second World War. She came out and she dedicated herself to bringing a message of forgiveness and reconciliation. Eventually, she met her own prison guard, a Nazi, and embraced him and told him that she was willing to forgive him everything. And it melted his heart, and it brought him to faith. We can overcome evil by increasing goodness. But good defeats evil also by increasing judgment. So we can defeat evil by increasing goodness, but we can defeat evil also by increasing judgment on the head of our enemy. Look at Verse 20 again, by so doing, by giving food, by giving water, by praying, by blessing our enemies, by doing this, he says, you will heap burning coals upon his head. So here's someone, you've tried to do as much goodness to them as you can, you've blessed them, you've prayed for them, You've been kind to them. You've fed them and watered them. And yet they don't repent. The goodness doesn't lead them to repentance, but instead it increases their judgment. To whomsoever much is given, much shall be required. And that's what this phrase means here when it says, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Here's somebody who, is, who knows they've done wrong, but don't, doesn't put it right. Their conscience tells them they've been wrong, and they've done wrong, but they don't put it right. And the very person they've wronged continues to bless them and be kind to them and love them and provide for them in every way, and still they don't put it right. Still they don't say sorry. 
They had been given more and more goodness, and by not repenting, they are increasing their conviction. The more goodness that comes upon them, the more their conscience burns in their head, and the more they heap up future judgment upon themselves. That's what it's meaning here when it says, you'll heap burning coals on His head. We don't want that. We want our goodness to lead our worst enemies to repentance, don't we? But if they don't, our goodness actually increases their judgment. So, what is God saying to us here? He's saying, reframe how you treat your enemies. Instead of the usual frame, which has a picture of what your enemy did, and you chasing them down, doing what you can overtly and covertly to get back to them, to tarnish their reputations, to destroy them, to weaken them, to make them look bad in the eyes of others. He's saying, forget that. Instead, have this picture. Goodness, goodness, kindness, kindness, gentleness, gentleness, provision, and leave justice to God. Secondly, it's saying reframe Christ's death. Reframe Christ's death. He did not just suffer unjustly. He suffered justly for the injustices that you and I have committed against Him and against others, because we've all done it, haven't we? Who here can really say, my hands are clean, my conscience is clear, I have never sought or exacted any vengeance, I've never been unjust, I've never been unfair. We can't, can we? Shamefully, we have to hang our heads and say, I've, I've done great injustice. But Jesus says, I am the Savior, the just for the unjust. You think of how he saved the Apostle Paul, how he saved Manasseh in the Old Testament, people whose hands literally dripped the blood of victims, and yet by putting their faith in the Savior, his blood washed away their blood guiltiness. All the injustice they've done, and he can do the same for us too. And, and reframe God's goodness as well, because it's not just us doing good to others. God has done good to us to lead us to repentance. And, and if we don't repent, we'll wish that God had never been good to us at all. Because we will have more coals of fire internally and externally in hell forever. God, sorry, good pains the evil to save the evil or judge the evil. The goodness of God and the goodness of God's people done to the evil pains them with the aim of saving them, and if not, 
then of greater judgment. We asked, how should we respond to personal injustice? And we saw God overcomes evil and good overcomes evil. And therefore, love your enemies by loving good and loving God's justice. And, and really, as we hear this, one of the prominent ideas we should leave with is this, beware of God's justice. He is a just God. He will punish the unrepentant and the unbeliever. He will exact righteous vengeance. He will repay. Have no doubt about that. If you have done grave injustice, you need to repent. You need to come before God tonight and say, I am sorry. Please forgive me. And then go to your victim. Go to the people you've wronged and say, I am sorry. Please forgive me. You do not want the vengeance of God coming upon you. You do not want ever God to meet you when you die and saying, I'm about to repay forever. God forbid that should happen to anyone here. So beware of this and escape it by faith. And why not this week choose an enemy? Choose someone. If you're a young person, maybe somebody in school. We've always, who doesn't have an enemy in school? Someone who rationally or irrationally has decided just to, to bully us and make life hard for us. That's the person God's speaking about in your life. It may be a colleague at work. It may be a competitor in the same field of business. It may be a family member. Whoever it is, choose even just one of your enemies. It may be somebody from way back that you still carry this fury and anger about. Choose them. Bring them to God and say, this, this is my challenge for the week. Lord, help me to give you the place you alone own and deserve to leave that vengefulness with you. And instead of bitterness, you'll have sweetness. Instead of rumination, you'll begin to have meditation. Instead of wanting to do evil, you'll want to do good. Who will you choose? Who will this week, by the end of the week, say, wow, these Christians are real. They are the real deal. They are doing what no one else does in this world. What goodness can you do to lead them to repentance? And this too is an invitation to worship God's justice. It's as much one of His perfections as His love or His holiness or His wisdom. Unless God was just, He would not be God. He would cease to be God. And so we come and we worship God's justice as it's executed at the cross in Jesus. We see perfect 
justice executed, sins punished so perfectly that they disappear. They no longer leave charges against us. Our consciences are freed. We worship God's justice as He administers it, sometimes directly in this world, in judgments upon evildoers, and sometimes indirectly through governments and judges and court systems. We worship God's justice ultimately eternally. As we see in the book of Revelation, when the smoke rises up, of those burning in hell. We don't hear heaven saying, don't do that, Lord. That's not kind. No, instead we hear, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And their smoke grows up forever and ever. What a challenge this is. Vengeance is God's. He will repay. Therefore, love goodness and love God's justice, and so love your enemies. Amen. Let's pray. Just God and Savior, we hand justice over to You, to Your perfect hands, trusting You to bring our enemies to repentance or Bring to justice here and hereafter. In Jesus' name, amen.